You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. I don't think I can do it. He said it again. I don't think I can do it. The line had stopped. We, we knelt in the lower system of, of Mammoth Cave in south central Kentucky. It was not meant to be an overwhelming tour. We wore headlamps and knee pads and where we once walked, we are now crawling. The ceiling was low. The walls began to to squeeze us on every side. I don't think I can do it. And I looked at his frightened face and replied, I don't think you have a choice. She already told us when we started that there was no going back. Literally trembling, "I, I can't, I can't, can't move, I can't go on. My calm reply, there is no other way. We can't turn around. You have to keep going. The line was still. He knelt in paralyzing fear. So yeah, there's a lot more to that story, but I mean, what a a haunting picture of life. That, that there, are, there are times, or maybe it's, it's even your current reality, where life has, has not been kind to you. Your mind can only handle so much, and maybe it's just the exhaustion of, of surviving each day. But there comes a point for each of us that begs the internal thought, like, I don't know if I have enough energy to keep going. The world does not often play nice, whether it's the things that we've done to ourselves or it's the things that have been done to us. It has a kind of paralyzing effect on our hearts and our minds, kind of effect that that takes us to our knees, like, how can I keep going? Will it even make a difference? Will life get any better? So let me calmly remind us of the gospel calling for those that that are there or have been there. Friends, there, there is no going back to better days. And friends, there, there is no going back to fix your past. There's only one gospel calling for the saints. Press on. Move forward. Keep going. Don't give up. So let me show you from the Word what that means and what it does not mean from Philippians 3. If you have a physical Bible, I'll be in um, Philippians 3. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's um, at least the main passage is in 
the bulletin. But before we read our passage together, study our passage together, let's pray. Father, we um, humbly come before you and and confess that um, that for many of us it's been a long year, and maybe this is it's been twenty twenty three has been the best year we've ever had. But knowing our church, knowing brothers and sisters in Christ, for many of them uh, it it certainly is not. So God, we, we pray that, that we would bend our will, that you would bend our will to your word. That we would see what it means, the gospel calling. We would see what it means to, for the saints to actually press on, to move forward. God, knowing that uh, there is no going back. So God, teach us as a church, teach us as individuals, uh, what it means to press on according to your word. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, he sat in prison in Rome to pin this letter around A.D. 61 through 62. It's a letter to Philippi, a city in Macedonia named after the father of Alexander the Great. It's a city about nine miles from the Aegean coast, which, as you guessed, uh, it's time for a map. Um, so there it is. You can see Philippi in just top center. I don't know why we keep showing these maps. No one can see them, um, but I'm going to just keep doing it, I guess. Uh, a city near to Paul's heart as he planted the church during his second missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts 16. So if, like, if anyone is going to know what it means to press on, if anyone's going to understand the, like, the weight of suffering... The call to move forward, it's going to be the godly man that's in prison. It's going to be the man who, who lost it all for the sake of Christ. So when Paul tells his church in Philippi to, to press on, I believe he knows what he's talking about. A brief and encouraging word for us this morning. This is Philippians 3, uh, just a few verses. We'll start in verse 12. Verse 12 says, not, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. And I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The thesis is clear. We see it in verses 12 and verse 14. Press on. It's the verb diaco, which means to run or to flee, to catch a person or a thing. Press on and to state the obvious we're going to press on to Christ. We run to Christ. Like we seek to, to catch Christ. So the thesis is clear. Press on to get Christ, which reveals a question for us. What will keep you from pressing on? 
I mean, what's, I mean, what's going to keep me from doing that? What will keep us as individuals or even as a church from moving forward? Because our, our answer is often, well, I think it's money. Like if I could just figure out my financial issues, then it would be a, a lot easier for us to press on. Maybe. Probably my job. You know, if I could find a job that actually pays me what I'm worth, uses my skill set, then I could keep going. Maybe it's all of the, the relationship drama around me. You know, if my, if my friends and my family could just be at peace with each other, then we can move forward. It's got to be these physical issues I'm dealing with. You know, if I, could, if I could just feel better again, then I could press on. Church, not to spoil the news, but it won't be money or career or relationships or health that will keep you from the upward calling of God. Now, those might be our excuses sometimes, but it won't be that. No, what's the word actually say? I mean, isn't that, is that not what matters the most? What will keep you and I from pressing on? Let me, let me give us five reasons from our passage. Point one, it's, it's losing sight of the gospel. Losing sight of the gospel. I mean, what, what does Paul say in verse 12? Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What's Paul talking about? Like, what is this thing that he has found but, but not yet gotten a hold of? Well, back it up in your Bibles. If you have a physical or digital Bible, back it up to Philippians 3, starting verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. And the power of, of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Friends, the gospel is both simple and complex. Jesus, the, the Son of God, lived a perfect life. Jesus died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice before the holy God, Jesus came back from the dead. That's the gospel. That, I mean, that right there is the simple gospel. That when we believe in Jesus, when we have faith in Jesus, we might acquire his righteousness, that you and I might become right before the holy God because of what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. But, 
the implications are complex. Because as much as, as Jesus has made us his own, as Paul said at the end of verse 12, it ain't over yet. Simply like Paul, Paul understands that, that pressing on means to pursue Christ until he dies and is resurrected from the dead like Christ into glory. Salvation is complete. It just ain't over yet. It's like it is the outworking of the promise of Romans 9. So this is Romans 9, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Those are the implications. So because of the gospel, we're justified. Like we are, we are made legally right before the holy God. Because of the gospel, we're being, the word, sanctified. So we're being conformed to the image of Jesus. Because of the gospel, we will one day be glorified. We will die and live forever with the Lord. And yet, we're growing in between sanctification and glorification. As Paul was when he wrote Philippians 3. If we have faith in Jesus, Jesus has made us his own, but we have not yet attained the resurrection from the dead. We press on. We press on. We press on. Friends, the, the primary thing that will keep us from moving forward is losing sight of the gospel. Losing sight of what, what God has done for us. Losing sight of what God is doing in us. Losing sight of what God will complete in us. So you, you show me the man or woman that has abandoned the faith, and I will show you the man or woman that has forgotten the gospel. That is not a buzzword for Christianity or East River Park. Like, this is the hill we will all die on. Or at least I will. That we can disagree on music, methodology, eschatology, and the like. Just not going to disagree on the gospel. Christ Jesus has made you his own. It's already done. It is finished. You have been declared legally right before the Holy God. Do you believe that? Because if you really believe that, there's no option other than to press on. So what will keep you from pressing on? Let me give you the second one. It's dwelling on the past. Verse 13, brothers, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. All right, wait, Paul. Okay, is that what you really mean? Is, is the answer to just, press, like, just forget the past? Is, is that the key to a, a successful future? Just forget what happened a few years ago. Forget what happened in your childhood. Like, is, is the answer to pressing on 
removing the past from your mind. Because I'm making the case that, it is, that that's not what Paul meant. Because we don't forget our history, nor should we. Paul did not forget his past. Philippians 3, verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then go to Galatians 1, verse 13. You heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous for was I for the traditions of my father. No, Paul is fully aware of his distorted, twisted, sinful past. So what does he mean in verse 13? It means that Paul wasn't going to live in a past life that Christ Jesus has already forgiven. Simply, we don't dwell in yesterday's sin that has been confessed and paid for. I think some of us have learned this art of of forgiving others, but have not learned the ability to forgive ourselves. If, this morning, if you have unconfessed sin in your life, I truly hope that actually crushes you. I hope it crushes you before it kills you. But, but for those that have con- like confessed their sin, have been made right before the Lord, the past is paid for. We don't dwell there anymore. When we think, because we often do of years gone by, regardless of, of how amazing those years were or how dark they were, we're reminded of redemption We're just thankful for Christ Jesus. But also, Paul forgets what lies behind because he knows that any good work that was accomplished in his past, it wasn't him anyway. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 1. In the eyes, Paul, in the eye when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Simply, like we don't, we don't even dwell in yesterday's progress that isn't ours to claim. Like, if the Lord has made your dead heart alive, if the Lord has worked in your life in mighty ways, praise His name. That's awesome. But seriously, you done now? Like, did, did you serve enough people in the past? You ready to check out? Did you pursue holiness enough in the past that you're like, good to go? I mean, how, how arrogant for us to dwell even in past victories that we do not claim. 
I mean, and, and I think how, how many churches are dying in the South because they're living in victories from 50 years ago? We're not going to be that church. I've been here um, going on five years. I've seen answered prayer after answered prayer, but to be honest, I've, I've never seen the Lord work in a church as as profound as he has worked here at East River Park. But are we done? Like, is this it? Paid off the church debt, fixed some physical, spiritual issues, and we're done? No, celebrate it all, but forget what lies behind. There's gospel work to do. The church needs saints that are straining forward, fighting forward for the cause of Christ Jesus. Press on. What will keep you from pressing on? Let me be the third one. It's, it's missing the eternal goal. I am guilty. Um, time and time again, I've made some strange New Year's resolution. I even shared one with you last year. My, my minimalist year of not buying anything only lasted a few months. And uh, so I, I, don't, I, I don't, even Mark mentioned it, I don't discredit the power of goals in our life. Um, goals, action steps to, to get physically, emotionally, financially healthy, those are really good and helpful. And I think most of us would be wise to think through those things. I'm not getting younger, and if I want to last another 20 to 30 years of ministry, being physically, emotionally, financially healthy will be incredibly beneficial. But the truth is, Paul knew something that Jesus declared in Matthew 16. Starting in verse 24, Jesus told his disciples... If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? So what's the point of being physically emotionally, financially healthy if your soul or my soul ends up in a very real eternal hell? Like, should our primary aim not be higher than the temporary? It's why Paul writes in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul uses this language of an, of an athlete pressing on toward the prize that his, that his eyes are, are transfixed on the upward call. So, so let us stop and reflect. Like, I mean, seriously, is that really your primary goal right now? Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen 
are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Certainly what you look upon the most is what your heart prizes the most. So if you can only see your problems, guess what your prize is? If you can only see your career, guess what your prize is? Brothers and sisters, our, our aim at least should be higher. We look to Christ because our prize is Christ. And certainly goals without action steps, they're just wishful thinking. If, if the goal is the upward calling, hey, how about you read your Bible in 2024? You've never read Genesis through Revelation? There it is, 2024. Create a heart for prayer in 2024. How many people have you invited to church in 2023? Is the answer zero? Well, invite people to church in 2024. Share the gospel again, or if you're like, man, I've been a Christian my whole life. It's not possible. I've been a Christian for a long time. Um, never shared the gospel. Share the gospel in 2024. Find a ministry to serve in in 2024. Aim Higher, press on. What will keep you from pressing on? Here's point four. It's thinking with immaturity. So verse 15, Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, I believe Paul could, could be a, a little sarcastic in this wording. Mature in verse 15 really means perfect. And guess who's perfect? Well, it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not Paul. Being a little tongue-in-cheek, if, if you think you're mature, or if you think you're perfect, then think this way. Well, think what way? He just said, think of, of pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, it, it's this pursuit of holiness and righteousness. It's the advice that Paul gives to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called about and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're, we're not being Pharisees or, or legalistic to pursue righteousness in our life. Like legalism is to pursue righteousness because you think it makes you right with God. No, we're made right with God, so we're freed to pursue righteousness. It, I mean, it took me a long time to figure that one out. Grew up in church. I was taught uh, biblical ethics since I was little, and I love Jesus, so thankful for what he had done for me, and so I fought hard against legalism. I didn't want to be called like Mr. Perfect, or didn't want to be called a Puritan, and so in many ways, like, I just loved Jesus, and then did what I wanted in my life, and I, I think a lot of Christians, or at least people that claim to be Christians, are living the exact same way. Like, they're thankful Jesus bailed them out of hell, but they don't want to be labeled as one of those, like, I don't want to be weird or, or, or a fanatical Christian. Friends, we believe that Jesus died and came back from the dead 
That's weird enough. You're already weird. So to pursue a, a life of holiness means that, I mean, we will at least in some ways set up ourselves apart from this world. You think that way? That what, that's what Paul's getting at. Like, that right thinking will produce right living. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So the immature person thinks that they're already perfect and they don't need to pursue righteousness. Or the immature person thinks that they're forgiven and now they can go do whatever they want. But that's just not the upward calling. It's a life d devoted to this pursuit of holiness. Are you and I, are we even thinking like that? Is it about religion? No. Nah. Is it about relationship? Of course. But it's not less than a pursuit of the righteousness of God that we're called to from His Word. And if you're not in the Word, I promise you're not thinking that way. All right, press on. Press on in righteousness. What will keep you from pressing on? Let me give you the last one. It's, it's letting go of the truth. Verse 16, Paul says, let, let us hold true, hold true to what we have attained. Do you, I mean, do we not see it? Paul is not saying, let us hold true so it can be true. He's saying, let us hold true to what we have already attained. We, like, we've gained Christ. Hold to the truth of Christ. It, isn't that like our only play as we press on? It's, it's interesting that Paul doesn't give us like, hey, here's some new magic secret to move forward. It's only this. Hold true. Hold true. Hold to the truth of Christ Jesus. Does it, does it not pain you to see those who have let go I mean, maybe it's your own children or grandchildren. Maybe it was a good friend that just let go of the truth of the word. I mean, after 20 years of ministry, it doesn't make it any easier, nor should it, to watch men and women letting go of the truth and imploding their lives. I believe it, it's at least in part why Paul a few verses down, writes in verse 18, from, from many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. That our ability to press on hinges on the requirement to hold true. Don't let go of the truth even in a culture that, that's, that is moving away from any lev level of, of, of biblical ethics, don't let go of the truth. Even uh, in a society that worships 
this new God of, of science. Don't let go of truth. Even when evil grows and it's labeled good, hold true and then press on. This past week, uh, we spent a few days in Kentucky for, for Christmas gatherings, and, and I was blessed uh, to receive the, the stomach bug from our youngest child, and I hid upstairs in my sister's old bedroom, and, and my wife tells me that, that I'm a little overdramatic, and, and so there I was fighting to stay alive, and uh, when I... I received a text message from one of our elders. He had been graciously checking our mail, making sure the house isn't falling apart, and he texted me this picture of our shed. Yeah, it's a hot mess, all right. With the words, I hadn't checked the backyard all week. Is this door always open? And I quickly replied, the wind usually knocks it open. I'm just praying someone comes in and steals everything in there from me. Why did I say that? Well, because it, it's filled with an embarrassing amount of junk, like broken items that need to be thrown out, trash, toys that are never played with, tools I don't know how to use, boxes that we've never unpacked. And I don't know how it got that way. It's not like I spent a weekend back there just filling it up with things I don't want. It just, you know, it just slowly happened over time, and I also know it's going to take time to clean out. Um, every, I just feel, I, I feel overwhelmed every time I see the mess, so what do I do? Well, close the door until the wind knocks it open again. Maybe it's just me. But when I think about pressing on in this life, um, I just, just want to hit a... I want to hit a reset button. I want everything to be fine right now. I want to fix all of my past sin issues and their consequences in one shot. I get overwhelmed with making everything right, right now, but I often just don't do anything. So I'm not going to promise you or myself that 2024 will be your best year yet. I I think everyone said that in 2020. We know how well that one worked out. Um, you, You can't change your past. You can't know your future. But you can certainly press on. I mean, you can hold true today. You can be faithful today. So come what may, forget what lies behind, strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's your main point from the passage. Press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together.